I want to just say a word about tonight. Um, there is childcare for um, preschool through kindergarten. Six o'clock. I'm going to start. We'll be done by seven thirty. I want you to pretend you're a parent right now, even if you're not a parent. And it is Christmas time, and there has been a, a, a gift opening, and your kids have opened all of, all of their gifts except for one, and um, you've got a smile on your face because you, you can't wait to see them get this final gift, and... Um, and you, and you say to your, to your child, buddy, sweetheart, we've got one more gift for you. And, and they say this to you. This is their response. Uh, you know what, dad, mom, we, I don't need any more gifts. I, I'm, I'm really content with all the gifts that I've already been given. And thank you, though. Thank you. But I, I'm just so content with what I have. I, the parents are going to say this. Sweetheart, buddy. You're misunderstanding. The gift's already bought. It's already fully paid for. It's here. It's uh, this. You need this gift. You're, you're going to want this gift. It's already here for you. This is how God feels about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is a second experience with the Holy Spirit that God wants his children to have, and he wants them to enjoy it. Now, because there's something with that gift in the baptism of the Holy Spirit called speaking in other tongues, a lot of people don't, they, they just don't want that. They don't understand it. It's uncomfortable. It's, uh, I'm not sure that, that, that I, I don't want to go that far in Christianity. Well, we'll talk about it tonight. Speaking in other tongues, praying in other tongues, the prayer language, however weird it may seem, is actually one of the most practical gifts that God could ever give you. In fact, is outside of daily Bible reading, the prayer language is the, the second most important thing to my devotional life with God. It's, it's, it's amazingly practical, and we'll talk about that tonight. So there's a second group that God wants to come down. One is, you know, you don't want to impose on God. You're already content. God's already given you salvation. He's provided for you. And how could I possibly be so ungrateful to ask for something else? He's saying, please, gifts already bought. It's already under the tree. Please, please come and, and learn about it and, and receive it. Here's the second group. There's a whole other group in the body of Christ that opened that gift. They prayed in tongues once, maybe a second time here or there, but haven't understood it, haven't understood what it is, aren't even sure for sure they have it, but all they know is this, it's really kind of, it's kind of strange and it's a little uncomfortable to do, and so I'm not, I'm not using that gift. I'm not walking in that gift. It, it, it was treated more like an end rather than a beginning that, that oh, I got it. No, no, no. Uh, uh, the, the prayer language, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an end. 
It is a beginning to, to, to more of the supernatural, more of the power of God that, that not only do we need the power of God, this nation desperately needs manifestations of God's power and beauty among us. And that's what I'm going to speak on this morning. So um, I'm just going to encourage you to come out tonight, 6 o'clock. There will be no manipulation. There will be no force. There will be no... In fact, the way I end the talk is with questions and answers. If you've got questions... uh, In fact, I will encourage people tonight that don't fully see it in the scripture and aren't really sure about... I will encourage them to not come forward and get prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's how how unpushy it is. I used to be Mr. Pushy. Because I, it blessed me so much. I just wanted everybody to have it. I found out it doesn't really work that way. This is, this is one of those, you need to be thirsty to, to, to receive. You need to, you need to want it. And so um, you just come. You don't, you, there, there will be no pressure on you tonight. You just come and maybe find out. Find out maybe there is another gift under the tree for me. Maybe not, but maybe there is. Come and, come and, come and see. Wow, I have been so excited about this service for so long. The the one this morning, also tonight. But would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We're going to also sing a little chorus together. But first, let's do the scripture. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Wine in both the Old and the New Testament is a, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. What, what wine does in the natural as far as bringing a sense of a, a lack of inhibitions, and the Holy Spirit does that, except there's no hangover with the Holy Spirit. You, 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 it, it, anyway, I want to sing this song together. This is an old chorus. If you don't know it, you'll learn it very quickly. Please, yeah, there we go. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray.
part of this is that we don't, we don't tell you what to do. But we ask for you to come. And we believe for your surprise that when you come, when you enter the room, special things happen that man can't do, that we couldn't do ourselves, that we couldn't figure out ourselves. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come and reveal Jesus in this place. Come and encounter us in this place. Come and pour out the Father's heart in a way that we can understand. Please, Father, please. It says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask? Father, we're asking. We are asking as broken, normal human beings. We are asking for more of your spirit. Please do something in our midst today that only you could do. We ask this together, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Contending for More of God's Presence. Point one is the change of wineskin. So this is, when it says that John's disciples, this is John the Baptist's disciples. And John, John the Baptist's disciples are confused because uh, they are fasting and striving for the things of God and doing everything they can to, to enter into God's presence. And they're confused. Uh, uh, here's Jesus here. He's a rabbi. He's kind of the leader of this group. But him and his disciples aren't, aren't participating in what they're doing. And Jesus says, there's going to be a change of wineskin. Um, there's a time coming when they will, but I'm changing the wineskin. And they, they will, there's a day coming where they will fast, but it'll be different than it is right now. How much different will it be? What is the difference between the two? Look at Matthew chapter 11, 11 and 12. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. This is speaking of, of spiritual violence. John the Baptist and his disciples, there was a hunger for the things of God that were rising. There was a thirst God was pouring out and people were, were pressing in. They were pressing in. They, they wanted what God had for them. And there's no one greater in the whole Old Testament there's no one greater under the old covenant system than John the Baptist. He is the man. He is the voice in the wilderness. He is doing this thing the best anybody could possibly do it under the old system. And then Jesus says these startling words. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What? What? 
what? How can, John is a hero. John is amazing. John is awesome. How can be the, the, how can the newest Christian that just said yes to Jesus yesterday be greater than John? Well, to understand that, you got to understand what the new covenant does. It's not greater in value than John. It's greater in privilege and access than John ever had. The, the least person that just got saved yesterday has greater privilege and greater access to the throne of God, to the things of God, to the beauty of God, to the power of God than John the Baptist and his disciples ever could. Why? They were banging on a door that was closed. Look at, look at uh, Matthew 27, 51. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus shed his blood, when Jesus said, it is finished, the veil that kept human beings from access to God's throne and God's presence, that veil was torn, and it was torn from the top to the bottom. Why? There's nothing man could do to tear that veil. There was nothing. There was no religion. There was no good work. There was no spiritual passion. It didn't matter how violent they were. It didn't matter how much they wanted it. it that door wasn't opening. Man couldn't open it. Man could not get himself right with God. God had to do something. Something had to come from heaven to tear that thing down. It could only be torn from the top. The, mankind could not get rid of that veil. And through the blood of Jesus, God tore the veil. So now there's an open heaven because of the blood of Jesus, and it's open to every single believer. Unless the enemy can get you to believe that it's not open to you. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, whenever Moses is read, a veil remains over their hearts. The veil is not on God's side, it's on man's side. Moses, of course, Moses represents the law. He represents man trying to perform for God. Man trying to be good enough for God. And whenever Moses is read, that veil stays over their heart. And you're like, well, praise God. We're, you know, we're not Jewish. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can read the New Testament as a Christian as if it's about your performance, as, as if it's, it's still about man's performance. And it's even harder to keep than the Old Testament because the, Jesus now looks at the heart. So you've got to do all this stuff to, to get right with God, to be right with God. And, and you can read this thing as if this is all about how good you are and how great you perform. And if you do, th that veil will remain over your heart. If anyone turns to the Lord, if anyone actually believes the gospel and believes what Jesus did, they're under an open heaven. 
When you get this thing, this isn't because you're good. This is because he was good. This isn't, you don't earn this because of what you go through. It's about what he went through for you. And you can wake up every day and say, Jesus, here I am, your beloved. I'm in your presence. You've washed me. You've cleansed me. Here I am, favored son, favored daughter. You just got to believe you got to believe that Jesus actually tore that veil down. He wants you in God's presence. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, he's such a high priest. He's given such a great sacrifice. Therefore, we come, listen, with confidence before a throne of grace. The throne is not a throne of judgment. We're not fearing to come into God's presence. Jesus shed his blood. God's holiness has been satisfied. So I can come as a sinful, normal, broken human being, and I can come right in his presence with confidence. Never arrogance, but with confidence. Because this is what Jesus did for me. And the way to be changed, interesting, is not by trying harder, but beholding more. As we behold him, even as in a mirror, even dimly as we behold him, we're transformed just by seeing him. We're transformed from glory to greater glory. So the enemy works very, very hard to get us to believe that the door is still closed and we got to bang on it the way John the Baptist did. There's a, there's a, a chorus we were singing, we were at a Gates of Glory, we were at Victory Center. The Gates of Glory was every month, there was a worship, citywide worship gathering at a different church, and we were at Victory Center, and um, I'm there, and we're, we're singing, let it rain. Let it rain, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain, let it rain. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful song, and we're all singing it together, but I am very irritated as we sing it. Here's why. The female worship leader doesn't know the words. She's not singing, open the floodgates of heaven. Here's what she's saying. Let it rain, let it rain. Floodgates of heaven are open. Let it rain, let it rain. She's not saying, God, please open them up. She's saying, they're already open. And I'm irritated because she's got the wrong words and it's throwing us off. <laughs> Floodgates of heaven are open. Let it rain. <laughs> and I'm, I'm halfway through my irritation and I realize, oh my, she's got the right words. She's got the right theology. We are not begging God to open up heaven. We are not coming to him as if heaven is not open. That is wrong theology, as if something else has to happen to get a breakthrough. Listen, folks, there's already been a breakthrough. It happened on the cross. The enemy can get us so focused on darkness and darkness is, darkness is over Madison and darkness is over America. And God, we just need you to break through all that darkness. He already has, unless the enemy can get you to believe that he hasn't. I was trying to, we were on, Alice and I were on a bed and breakfast retreat and I was up and I was gonna preach on this message and this truth and I was trying to get something that would explain it. Something that would explain the difference. And here's, here's what I really feel like the Lord just gave me this, this little picture. 
and it's adjoining hotel rooms. Okay, have you ever seen adjoining hotel rooms where you, you don't share a door, there's actually two doors. There's a door on your side, but it's backed up to a door on their side. And if you open your door and they open their door, you can come right in. And so so here was the picture With, with John the Baptist and in the old covenant, sincere, passionate, spiritually violent people opened up man's door and were banging on heaven's door. We want in, we want in, we want in, we want in. Jesus dies on the cross and he opens up heaven's door so everybody can come in to that room. And the door that I was banging on, come on, God, open up, open up. Because I've been about revival ever since I've been in ministry, actually before I was in ministry. This is what I believe America needs. This is what I'm after is revival. We need an outpouring of the spirit. And I read books on revival, know the history of revival. And, and so I've been banging on that door. And the Lord just showed me the door that I'm banging on. I thought I was banging on heaven's door. I'm not banging on heaven's door. I was banging on man's door. And here's the funny thing. There's a key right in my hand. You know what the key is to that door? Childlike faith. Just actually believe the gospel. Actually believe what the gospel does and you can actually open up man's door and Jesus has already opened up heaven's door. And so we can go right into the presence of God right into the presence of angels, right into the presence of the throne room and bring out of heaven those things that need to be on earth. That's the change of wineskin. That is how amazing the gospel is. So then, Pastor Tom, if that's all true, why do we contend for more? Contend is a... Is, this, is about spiritual passion. It's about spiritual violence. It's about, it's about d- doing something. Why would we even need to do that? We got the key right in our hand. Why don't we just open it? Why don't we just live that way? Why is there a contending for more? Well, let's talk about that. Purpose of a wineskin in the, in the New Testament days was, was similar to how we would think about a water bottle today. The wine in that day was, was diluted from where it was. It, the thought was not, I'm going to get drunk on this. The thought was, this is uh, for refreshment. This is a drink that will stay, that will keep. And you would come to a wineskin to be refreshed, to drink. And so let's think about it today because there's so much alcohol problems in our, let's just think of it as a water bottle, okay? I want you to think about a water bottle for a moment, okay? You are thirsty, you have run, you are exhausted, you are dry, and you are thirsty. Do you care what the water bottle looks like? Do you care if it's a really... This is the coolest water bottle. No, it's not about the water bottle. It's about the water. I don't care what that water bottle looks like. I need a drink. 
And when I see a water bottle, I'm thinking water. I'm thinking here is refreshment. Think about the disappointment when you pick up a water bottle and there's nothing in it. Do you take a moment to say, well, I didn't get a drink, but wow, what an amazing water bottle. <laughs> this is so cool. I want to get me one of these. No, you're upset. Just because there's a new wineskin Jesus has died and we're born again and we're now favored sons and daughters. Just because we've got a wineskin doesn't mean there's wine in it. The reason for it is so that we would have wine, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have wine in it. Look at uh, John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So to have rivers flowing, somebody has to be thirsty and drink of Jesus. The more we drink, the more rivers start flowing from our innermost faith. It's exactly opposite of a natural river. A natural river, if there's too much demand, the river dries up. Isn't that right? Okay, the spiritual river, if there is no demand, the river dries up. If no one is thirsty, if no one's actually drinking of Jesus, there is no river. The river of God actually dries up. And here's, the, here's what's interesting. <clears throat> The river of God can dry up in a church if no one is drinking. Everybody's religious. Everybody comes and goes through the motions. Everybody does that. But if no one is actually pressing in and drinking of Jesus himself, the river can dry up. It can dry up in a church. It can dry up in a region. It can dry up in a country. Go, go to Western Europe sometime. It, it can dry up. For the river to flow, somebody actually has to drink. Here's a, here's a way to think about it. For a wineskin to give somebody a drink, the wineskin itself has to drink first, doesn't it? It, ha it has to be passive and allow wine to be poured into it. Once it receives something, then it now has something to give. A water bottle has to be filled up. A water bottle's got to drink first. It doesn't automatically have water. It, it is a vessel for water, but you got to get under a fountain and fill that guy up. So what's going on in America right now? Okay, well, it depends on your perspective. Sin, that's what's going on in America. Everywhere, people are sinning. It's getting worse. Yeah, that is true, but you want to know what else is happening? Sinners who are broken, whose lives don't work, who are thirsty for something real, have come to church because maybe there's something here. And they come to the water bottle try, because they're so thirsty and they get to the water bottle and when it's empty, it becomes very discouraging to them. 
See, this thing about drinking isn't just for you. It's for, it's for others. It's for others. <clears throat> Here's the tragedy of the church at Laodicea. It's such an amazing picture. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of John the Baptist. We've got John the Baptist violently, passionately, and his buddies knocking on heaven's door. Now we're in the New Testament. Jesus has died. Heaven's door is open. And we've got Jesus in Revelation 3.20 knocking on man's door. (laughs) Now it's not people knocking on God's door. It's God knocking on people's door. Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And here's what he's saying to the church at Laodicea. I've, got, I've died for everything you guys need. I've got fire. I've got garments of white to take away your shame. I've got spiritual riches. I've got ISAS so that you could see. But they become so complacent because of their money. And pride has risen up in their hearts and they've accepted lukewarm. And so if you, if, let's go back to the adjoining rooms. <laughs> okay. You're in this room, you've, you've opened your door and you're, you're knocking, God's knocking on man's door and the Laodicean church is, is, is in the bed. Watch a TV. God's like, come on, open up, open up. I've got resources in here that earth needs. Just exercise a little spiritual passion, a little spiritual violence. You don't need to be John the Baptist, just enough to get off the bed and open this door so that I can pour out everything that heaven has. It's really hard. The the biggest challenge of America is complacency because of prosperity. We just have it too good. We don't sense our need for God the way third world, uh, you know, I was just in China. Their biggest need in in the church is to confront fear because it's really, really hard to be a Christian there. But uh, that's not our biggest problem. We we deal with fear too, but our biggest problem in the church is is complacency because of the, the prosperity of our land. And if you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you've if you got a problem, there's some human solution to every problem. And, and so it's just very easy to make church just something you do, something you kind of add on to your life, and it's kind of nice, and, it's, and, and, and you lose that urgency. One of the prophetic words that we received this year in our prophetic summit was, that God is calling us as a church, individually and corporately, to be attentive and alert to his presence. And then, and then this word came. Casual leads to casualties. Casual leads to casualties. Now, we are come as you are. I'm in blue jeans. And absolutely, we are a relaxed culture. We are very much about the ease of heaven and not striving and pushing we are we we are we are about that god this is not about how much we perform this is about what how good jesus is but listen folks god is calling us when we come into his presence to be alert and attentive 
He's calling us to engage. He's calling us to drink. He's calling us to be careful that we're not just going through the motions, that we are embracing the, the, the spirit of God and we're recognizing this God we're worshiping is insanely, amazingly transcendent. This is the God of the universe. We know very little about him, folks. Well, we got the Bible. Yep, and that gives us a few things, enough to get by, but most of who God is, we can't even fathom it right now. There should be tremendous mystery in our hearts and worship. We worship not because of what we know, but partly because of what we don't know. And we, we, we have this sense of what the Bible called the fear of the Lord. This is something God wants to restore. Casual in God's presence leads to casualties. Why do we contend for more? Because the purpose of a wineskin is not to look impressive, but to be filled with wine. Secondly, why do we contend for more? That's actually my last point. When the bridegroom isn't here, they will contend because of his absence. Jesus said, right now, they're not contending. You're right. Right now, they're, why? Because I'm here. The bridegroom is here. But the day is coming when the bridegroom is going to be taken from them and they're going to long for his presence. They're going to remember that when Jesus was here, demons fled. When Jesus was here, no sickness could stand before him. When Jesus was here, the things happened and they're going to, they're going to want those things that only I can do. They're going to they're gonna want my presence among them. They're going to long for me to be present. And, and here's what he says. This is what he says to his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then he said, this is what I'm going to do for the church. Look at Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I, I am there in their midst. So the church's first role is to listen to what heaven is doing. It doesn't say that we decide what we're gonna loose and what we're gonna bind and tell heaven to do it. No, it says whatever, you, you wanna walk in authority, you gotta find out what heaven is already doing. It's already been done in heaven and you enter into what heaven is doing, you listen first. This is, this is knitting our hearts to what God is saying. But isn't it interesting that it's not enough to knit your heart to God. That Jesus says, here's how the authority of the church goes. You also need to knit your heart with one another. And then if two of you will agree together on what God wants to do, what God, what heaven is doing, and then ask why would heaven, why would earth have to ask if heaven wants to do something? If heaven's planned something and already wants to do something, why does earth have to? This is how God set it up. God wants partners. 
God has ordained that he's going to move through his church. The church can be keys in his hand or a stumbling block to his purposes. But when, 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 when people on earth come into agreement with what he wants to do and then get together and say, hey, God wants to do this. God wants to do this. Let's ask him. Let's ask him together. And he said, when, they, when two agree on something and they ask the Father in heaven, it will be done. And then Jesus says, why? Because when, when two agree and ask the Father, I show up. Just like when I was on earth. I will reveal my presence. The absence of the bridegroom will not be felt. You will feel my presence. I will come in among you. And you say, well, Pastor Tom, isn't Jesus in every believer? Yep, he is. But folks, the big stuff, he's saved for when we're together. The big, the big stuff, the big revelation of his glory, of his presence, of his healing, of his power, of his deliverance is when we come together in agreement and we are his body. And when we, when we embrace not just knitting our heart to his heart, but knitting our heart to one another, there is an authority that is released. Now this is, this is what City Church is about. The reason why I've been so excited about this value this, this is a distinctive value of City Church. Come as you are, connect with God, connect with people. Frankly, every church should have those three values. Every church in the country that calls itself a church should have those three values. What our part is in the greater body of Christ at City Church is to contend for more of what God wants to do. Um, many in the body of Christ don't even think God wants to do more. That God, if God wanted to do more, he'd automatically do it. And, and, and we're, we're supposed to be a catalyst in this region for revival. Some, their main mission is reaching out and being seeker sensitive and doing a lot of things. Some, their main thing is the poor. I, I, I love it. I, I, we're, we do evangelism. We, we reach the poor. We're, we're planning things right now about outreach. But our main thing before God is to contend for more, to climb the mountain for more, to be a catalyst. In 2005, God first spoke to me about City Church. It's a long story. I'm going to tell you a very brief part of it. He told me he was going to bring Lake City Church and Man City Church together, and it was going to be called City Church. And as I'm experiencing the overwhelming presence of God, I turned to get a drink of my coffee because I'm in my quiet time. Don't get over spiritual on me, people. You can still have coffee during your quiet time. I turned to get a drink of my coffee, and I've got, I've got an old Mad City mug, but it's turned in such a way that all I, I go to get it, and it's a city church. God just spoke city church. And when I see city church, this is what the Lord speaks to my mind. It will be called city church as a sign that in the end times, I'm going to use the citywide church. It's going to be a different paradigm. It's not going to be my church versus your church, and this is how I do church, and you do church, and our church is better than your church. God said, I'm wiping that away. It's, I'm going to use the citywide church. I've only got one church in the city, and they're going to work together. So city church is not so we're the greatest church. In the city. That's not what ha- doesn't have anything to do with that. 
It has to do with God's commitment to the citywide, region-wide church working together. And then he said, and when this happens, it'll be a sign to you that there will be an end time survival. And all I could think of, <laughs> the idea that two large churches with very different cultures are gonna come together and I'm gonna be the pastor. When I'm pastoring a little church out in Southwest Minnesota was so absurd to me. I said this to the Lord. Well, trust me, if that ever happens, then I'll be all in for an end time survival. Well, folks, it's happened. Do you see why I have to believe for an end time survival? I have no choice. I, I, God, God gave me a sign that he told me about in 2005 that there is go God is not done with America. God is wanting to pour out his spirit in this hour. <clears throat> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end. Oh, let me give you this verse at least. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. God says, I'm going to, this thing, this is going to cross races. It's going to be all flesh, not just Jews. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cross economics. It's not just going to be the wealthy. It's going to be the slaves. I'm gonna, it's, I'm, no distinction economically. He says, it's Old Testament is just men. It's, this is going to cross sex. This is going to be men and women. It's going to cross generations. It's not going to be old. It's going to be old and young. I'm going to pour out my spirit. This is my plan. This is God's plan for America. It's the only answer for America. Folks, I think God has gone out of his way to show us that the answer for America is not in the White House. I just don't know how much more he could do to convince us the idea that there is a political answer and if we just had the right politics that this thing would work and America would turn around. I, 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 just, I don't know how much he could do to disprove that equation. That doesn't mean we shouldn't vote, but it just means don't vote, but don't hope in that. God, God is the answer. Jesus is the answer for America. And he, he wants to pour out his spirit, but somebody's got to come into agreement with him. So I'm going to end with this story. And we're going to have the worship team come back up and do that altar song again. I told this story the very, very first Sunday of City Church, December 5th, 2010. The title of the message was A Place for His Presence. And I told this story. It happened in 1996. It's the fall of 1996. Uh, Alice and I had received a call from a church in Montevideo, Minnesota called Community Bible Church. They wanted us to be, to, me to be the, the, the new pastor. And I said yes with a condition. Here, here's the story of what happened in that church. The youth pastor 
had done something. It was, a, it, was a, it was bad judgment more than anything else. And, and there was a group of people that wanted to get rid of him anyway, so they took this bad judgment, and instead of forgiving him and encouraging him and instructing him, they got on a campaign to move him out of the church. And once they got him out, they, they got the senior pastor out that, that had brought him and defended him. And they, they, the, the power wheels moved in the church. And, and the power wheels, politics in the church is way worse in a charismatic church because everybody says, God told us. This is what God wants. God, and so my darkness is now... now God, and when you are a young person... And you see that in the church. I mean, people expect politics in the world. They expect pol- power plays in the world and at, at work and dog-eat-dog world. But when they see it in church, something in them shuts off and they just, like, God can't be real. How could God be real? And they're doing this in church. They're saying, we need to love one another. And this is how they're acting. And, and so everything in the church had shut down. There was no, no youth group, no men's meeting, no women's meetings. The only thing they were doing was, was Sunday morning. And, of course, the church had just scattered. And so it was a very small group that was left. And, I, and so I said, yeah, we'll, we'll come, but here's the condition. I want to meet with the youth group. I want, we want to come down in August. It's about a four-hour drive from uh, Faustin, where we were, down to Montevideo. I said, we, we want to come down and meet with the youth. So what I want you guys to do, I want you to get on your email list and, and invite every youth, every 7th through 12th grader. I will buy the pizza. I, I'll, it'll be a pizza party. They had this modular for their youth center that was, we used to have a modular out here and just a rickety building, trailer-like building put together. And, and I want to I meet them and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to have pizza and we're going to talk with them and I will never forget Allison and, and my trip down there because we were, we were praying. We were praying, God, these young people have seen man. They've seen man's manipulation. They've seen man's suspicions, man's anger, man's uh, politics. God, would you do something for these kids tonight that only you could do? Could you, and the word I used was, could you surprise them? Could you surprise these kids? Do something in their midst that there is no explanation that man tried to do this, or that God himself was in our, our midst. And we prayed it, we prayed it. I remember praying it with such passion. Alice is in agreement. We're asking heaven in agreement to come and do something that only heaven can do. So we get there. Pizza's there. I have determined that I'm not going to force these kids to do anything. I'm going to talk to these kids. I'm going to ask them how they feel. I've got a message prepared. I brought my guitar, but I'm not going to force anything. I'm, we're going to just, we're going to listen to these kids. And, and so there's 25 of them gathered. And I start interviewing them, and I don't know if it's just this 25 or there might be another 25 out there that's really hurt, but this 25 is very open to God and wanting, wanting more. So I bring out the guitar. We do a couple songs, and then I, I preach this message on David and Goliath. 
And, and the Israelites all lived in fear and were paralyzed. And the reason why David was different was because the Holy Spirit had anointed him. He was of a different spirit. The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit gives us courage to stand for God, to kill Goliath. If you want to be David, I want you to, I want you to come up to the front right now. We're going to pray for you. And so um, 12 kids come up. And they, they kneel. I didn't tell them to kneel. They just came up and they knelt. There's 12 kids at the altar and they're, they're kneeling, and I've got the anointing oil. Now, here's what I don't know. The very first kid doesn't go to this church. In fact, he's got no background with anything charismatic or anything Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, a, this is his first exposure to anything. I don't know that. I don't know any of these kids, but they all know it. This, is, this kid doesn't go to our church. <laughs> But I'm praying for him first. Got a little anointing oil. I put a little, little anointing on his, his forehead. I'm about to pray for him. The kid passes out. I don't mean falls over. I mean, boom. He's just down. And he's just, he's just passed out on the floor. I move on to the next kid. And as I'm praying for the next kid, one of the other kids that didn't come up to get prayer comes up to me and he's t- tugging on my shirt. And I'm like, what's up, buddy? He says, what happened to that kid? <laughs> I said, I said this. Don't worry about it. God's touching him. And in my mind, I am saying, oh my God, please be touching him. <laughs> Please, 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 God, be touching that kid. And so I'm going down, I'm going down the row, but nothing, nothing is happening with any of these other kids. I'm just, I'm, I'm praying for them, and I'm kind of, I'm looking just for anything from this kid, just like a twitch, anything, just something that says he is alive still. <laughs> By the time I get to the 12th kid, the entire group is around the kid that hasn't moved. They're all, they're in a circle around him. And as I'm praying for that last kid, here's what I'm thinking about. I, I'm, I'm thinking about the headline of the Montevideo paper. <laughs> New pastor kills teenager. <laughs> so I go over, I get down with the last kid. I go over, now the entire group, there's 24 kids around the one kid that has not moved. And I part the Red Sea and... I get on my knees next to this kid and I say these words. Hey, buddy. What's happening? Here's what he says. God's speaking to me. I'm like, this is so good. So I get back down there. What's he saying? <laughs> Here's what he says. He's, he's telling me that he loves me. Hey, buddy, have you ever opened up your heart and asked Jesus to come in and save you and forgive you of your sins? No. Do you want to do that right now? Yeah. 
I look at the other 24. I said, could you guys all help him? I'll lead a prayer. Could you guys all pray the prayer with him? And we prayed together. And that young man got saved. And all of those kids saw something happen that there was no explanation except that Jesus was alive and that God was good and that God loved people and that God wanted to touch people just like them. Now, would you mind just backing out of that little modular unit? Could you just back out of there now and just, and just look at America? America is so cynical. They've seen man do so much. They don't need a more impressive church. They don't need a cooler water bottle where it's all just, wow, that's impressive. They don't need that. They don't need that, guys. America desperately needs to see God do things that there is no other explanation except that Jesus is alive and that he loves people. And God's waiting for us as the church to agree with him that this is what we really need. And maybe your heart is in a place where you've lost all surprise of God. You, 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 you're just going through the motions and expecting nothing more. You're, you're, you, you're treating this whole thing like this is just about man and this is just something I do as a human being because it's better than being out in the bar drinking. And maybe you're here today and you need God to surprise you. Maybe life has beat you up a little and you started to question God's goodness or God's, even God's existence you go to church, and that makes you almost confirms the worst because you look at people, and they're not that great. Guys, it's not about great people. It's about a great God who loves us. Could we stand together? <clears throat> I'm going to ask Sarah and the team to come, and if you guys wouldn't mind doing that song, The Altar, again. Um, Here's how we're going to end today. First, I want to invite you back for tonight. Please, please be here at 6. Because of time, I'm going to have to start right at 6 o'clock. So if you come late, you're going to actually miss some of the important setup. But here's how I want to end tonight. We're, going to, we're not going to have any ministry teams. We're just going to bring the lights low. We're going to open up these altars, and we're going to do this song. And... Uh, if you want to step out and come down, you're certainly welcome to, but let's just make the whole sanctuary an altar. And if you want to chat with people or you need to get going, I totally understand that, but could we just do that outside of, of the sanctuary? Lord, we're hungry and we're thirsty for more of you and what only you can do. Would you come even in the midst of this humble congregation and surprise us with your your glory. Surprise us with your goodness and with your willingness to touch us. Please, God, come.